Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I am Sheldon McLeod. This is Thinking Out Loud presented to you here exclusively by the Saltwire Network. I do a lot of heavy lifting here. We talk about a lot of heavy things, a lot of important stories about what's happening in our world. And it's very seldom that I'll uh, take some time to indulge myself a little bit. And that's kind of where I'm at today. Um, I had a, a chance on the radio many times to talk about how this all started for me. And you know, I remember I graduated high school in 1998. Uh, I ended up back in Saskatchewan and driving around delivery trucks and there's this guy by the name of Peter Zosky with this theme song that just it was captivating and I learned more about Colin James and the work that he was doing in that that 1988 album just a, a, a blockbuster just a huge presence in my life at that time and then I ended up being on the radio and I get to talk to people all the time about you know things that are interesting to me and I get Opportunities like this to talk to someone like Colin James, uh, who's joining me. I believe you're in, in BC right now, are you? Yeah, I'm in Vancouver. So you're making your way back to uh, Nova Scotia. Uh, it's been a while since you've been here. You're going to be as part of the Open Road Tour, album number 20. 20 albums, this career of yours, man. Congratulations yeah. on all the successes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, man. It's been a, yeah, it's been a great little journey and uh, still going. You know, enjoying it, still still loving making records and still can't wait for the next thing. Do you get tired of doing these interviews, though? Um, you know, I don't. I've always, I've always believed, like, I mean, I've always been okay about just yakking off the cuff and I don't like mm -hmm. to pre-schedule what we're going to talk about. Like, it's never been my thing. I don't mind it. I actually have never minded that. I get a little tired of the Steve Ray Vaughn story. Yes. Okay. Just because I've had to, ever since it happened, and I listen, I'm, I'm grateful as I'm so grateful it happened, but it's like, I could feel it coming sometimes. I'm like, so tell me about the time. You know, I was like, oh, mm. why, why don't you just read this? I'll, I'll, I think one of these days I'm just going to type it out and there give it to somebody. And say, <laughs> there could be a book here. Absolutely. The journey and the path from, from, did you really fail your music class in high school? Oh, absolutely. I, in grade nine, I was in a, in a bluegrass band, mostly playing Celtic music and bluegrass. Mm -hmm. I played mandolin mostly. I had set the guitar down for about three or four years of my life. So I didn't play the guitar. I just played mandolin. And um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I finally got to grade nine where I joined a kind of a new wave band against my better judgment because it wasn't really where my heart was at. My heart was at Dire Straits and Mark Knopfler and, and stuff like that. Although they were kind of masquerading as the new wave thing anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, uh, Miss McAlpine was my teacher in grade nine. And she, I made it through that grade nine, I think, with her. Because I was still doing pretty good in school. And then I joined a band and then everything went down. And then um, she flunked me and she says, I don't want to flunk you, but you don't do anything with the class. You don't, you just go off on your own. And I said, I'm sorry that 
it's just lucky I'm even here at all that I'm even still in school is a miracle. So just let me do my thing and thank you. And you know, that kind of thing. So she, years later, she tried to get me to come back and talk to the, the school and mm-hmm. I never did. I know your parents had a big influence on the kind of music you were listening to at the time. I mean, growing up in the eighties for me, you know, like Regina was queen city kids. We talked about street heart. Mm -hmm. We talked about, you know, these bands, a lot of heavy metal. Uh, and you took a stream that was a lot different from that. Not to say that I wasn't, and a lot of my friends weren't listening to the blues, but you know, that path that you ended up on, was that strictly because of the record collection and, and, and your parents? Yes and no. Uh, I think, you know, I, um, I went as far as I could with the Celtic bluegrass thing till I was about 16. And I realized how am I going to sell me as a traditional Irish, Scottish, English. I, I, I realized that it was kind of probably not going to happen. And I, I went and saw James Cotton at the age of 16. And I just, they played funk, they played rock, they played blues, uh, they played jazz, you know, and I thought, Oh my God, that's everything I love, you know, and that kind of just kind of changed my life. And, and, um, you know, so around the age of 16, when school was turning into mush for me, I started getting jobs playing and well, earlier than I should have, I was playing in clubs and dances and stuff like that. And, um, I just, I realized that by being a blues performer in Regina, Saskatchewan, I was about the only one other than maybe one other person in town. So when George Thurgood came to town, I got the nod. When John Lee Hooker got to town, I got the opening slot. So it was better to be a small, uh, a, a big fish in a small pond than than doing what everyone else was doing, going out and playing in cover bands. You know, uh, hoodoos. That was was that the first the band? hoodoo, the hoodoo man. Okay. Well, there was a band before that. Wikipedia's got it all wrong. Well, it happens. I was. <laughs> Yeah, I was in a band before that called. Uh, oh, I don't remember the name of us now. We were like we we'd open up for the Subhumans and like uh, we got a few like uh, we'd open up for the Art Bergman. I tried to be a kind of a punk for a while. Yeah. And I I just realized that I loved the uh, political aspiration of it. I loved the I loved the idea of it, but musically speaking, it was a one way street, and I I knew it. But I, I didn't want to get left behind by the crowd, you know. The chops, man, the chops. When you <laughs> when you fell onto this path that brought you to where you are today and about to come to Halifax coming up in just a few days at uh, 7th of July at Rebecca Cohn Auditorium, I think there's still tickets available if you're lucky, if you didn't get them yet. That That is, um, you know, an, area, an era, you know, I'm thinking uh, Jeff Healy, and there was a lot going on in Canada when you were mm-hmm. making that, hitting that trajectory, and... And it couldn't have been easy. Well, I mean, the the hard times came before I was 25 because I lived out of a garbage bag. I would just move town to town. So there was a lot of years. Um, like when I first moved to Vancouver, I had nothing. I lived on the, the you know, I, I, I couch surfed and I played in front of liquor board stores and did all that stuff. Uh, so, um, but no, those early days were heady. I mean, I got approached by Katie Lang's manager. That was the first kind of thing that after, after Steve Ray Vaughan happened the second time, um, I was playing with Billy Cowsill of the Cowsills, you know, the rain, the park and the other things. And, and Billy was my boss. I, I only played rhythm guitar for somebody once and that was Billy Cowsill. And I, I loved Billy. He was a fantastic guy. And um, we got the job opening for Katie Lang at the Palliser Hotel in Calgary in 1984. 
And then he took me out for lunch, Katie's manager. And that's what started the kind of the business going. 20 albums. Uh, that's, you know, we're in a different place, aren't we? Anyone with an internet connection can be so-called, you know, radio host. And anyone who has a, an aptitude to play can record an album on their phone now. Never mind yeah. publishing. <laughs> Never mind all that. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of brings me to, and we, we touched on this just before we started talking, Morgan Davis from Nova Scotia, who who penned that tune, Why'd You Lie? And it ended up, you recorded it. And it, and I don't know that today it would have the same impact on a songwriter that, that it would have then, that the publishing and the, the chance to make some money from the, the art. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, Who knows, right? Like, I, I look at people growing up in the business now, and I, I, you know, it was hard enough as it was. But at least there was, you know, hard bricks and mortar sales, you know. Mm -hmm. So if, if everything failed, at least maybe you'd sell something. Or, yeah, I don't know how someone starts now. Like when I first played the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto, I played for a week. I came in on a Monday and I left on a Saturday. They would never hire a band for a week, ever now. You'd probably have three bands in one night half the time, you know. So, um, so that was amazing. I got to come into Toronto and have no one show up. And then by Wednesday, have people show up and by Saturday, have a full house. So, you know, I don't know where people have that opportunity now. But I mean, rules are meant to be broken. People do things that shake it all up every single time you think it's all figured out. Somebody does something, a Billie Eilish or, a, or somebody. So who knows? There's no telling. So what, what does Colin James listen to when he's, you know, on the road or, or, you know, wherever you are consuming music like the rest of us? Well, I listen to like a whack of blues to the age of 25. Uh, hmm. Not that I don't listen to it now. When I hear something I love, I, I love it. It's like uh, whether it's Bobby Bland or whether it's whoever. But um, I listen to a lot of Beck, if you can believe it. And um, I don't like rock and Beck as much as I like quiet Beck. I like Sea Change. I like uh, those records to me are fantastic. I hear he might have another one of those coming around the bend. So uh, uh, I like Beck. I like, you know, Radiohead. I listen to a, a fair amount of Radiohead. Mm. Um, I think I have every Radiohead record in my head somewhere. <laughs> so I, I Tom York's, uh, uh, you know, I try to listen to stuff that I don't do, I think. And I don't know if that's conscious, but, um, you know, when you do something for a living, you... I don't know. You maybe tend to look elsewhere for music too. The, the big band stuff was amazing. I got to see you and the band and that was a quite a highlight for me. And, and a lot of people really dug it. You were you kind of ahead of the curve on that in some ways before Michael Buble and some of the, the cats that made it kind of contemporary. Now you were on top of it with guitar and right, right up in your face. Well, I was actually a little ahead of Brian Setzer, not in the rockabilly camp. <laughs> like Brian Setzer had it all over me because he's never changed what he does. He's always been that Setzer guy. Right. But boy, I had that first little big band record done before he'd ever done a, like a little big band swing record yet. But it took me a year and a half to put it out because we couldn't find an American label. So we finally got Electra. And by the time we got the label out for little big band two, by the time we got it out, the Squirrel Nut Zippers, the Cherry Poppin' Daddies, the Ding Dong Dillies, the Wing... You know, it was just like... <laughs> so by that point, we were really late on the curve in America, um, right. which was such a shame because that could have really made a difference for me. But that's the biz for you. What are you going to do? When I first made the first little big band record, Virgin America didn't want it. They, they flew me down to Los Angeles and they said, well, we listened to the record. We don't understand why you'd want to do this. <laughs> 
And I said, well, I've always played the blues. I've been playing pop rock blues, and I just want to show that I'm really into this. Right now, it seems like a good time because grunge is in, and what I'm doing isn't very popular right now. So we had a million reasons, but they still didn't get it. And then about a year later, Setzer put out his record, and they flew me to L.A. immediately and went, oh, we get it now. Right. And by that point, it was just way too late, and they had Canada put it out, and then America leased it from Canada. And then we sold three to 400,000 copies in Canada alone. So, you know, and it, and it goes to show you, I've had two, three records in my life where nobody wanted it. And I pushed ahead and later on became like National Steel was not a wanted record. It was an mm. unwanted record by my label. And they uh, threatened not to pay me for it, actually. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you're just coming off of the fresh announcement from last night, uh, Maple Blues Award for Male Vocalist of the Year, Electric Act of the Year. The awards keep piling up. What is it? Eight Junos, album sales, 20 studio albums. And and you, you get out there and for a long time, you know, making album sales was a way to make money, but so was putting bums in seats. And uh, for a while that was taken away from you. And I'm just wondering how this feels to kind of get back into it, back into that I mean, you, you're a road warrior, so getting back out on the road, how that feels? Oh, it felt great. I mean, we just came off 19 shows with Buddy Guy, and it was such a... First of all, it wasn't my show, so I had a bit of a... I had a 45-minute slot in front of Buddy, so I could kind of... I'm used to it being all on my head, you know? <laughs> so it was nice to be in someone's warm-up slot, get my job done, watch Buddy, enjoy Buddy, um, play with Buddy, which was amazing. He got me up every night to play two songs with him at the end of the night, which was thrilling. I've been doing that with Buddy for 20, 30 years, but we kind of finally know each other. <laughs> it's taken me a lifetime to get to know Buddy in, in some ways. Mm. But that was thrilling. And to be honest with you, though, going back to the financial thing, I've never made money off a record uh, sales. Really never, because by the time you made a record, like we made Little Big Band 1 for $80,000 American. And which is a lot now. I, I make mm. records for a, frac a fraction of that now. And at that time, we did it at Little Mountain. We did it in two weeks solid from starting the recording to the finished mix. And, um, and then we did three videos that cost 100, like the videos cost 18 times as much as making the whole record did. And that's with Chuck Lavelle, Reese Winans, The Room Full of Blues. <laughs> You know, so I never made money off that record because I was into it for half a million just on the stupid videos we made, which I didn't even like. So, you know, the business was set up for musicians to kind of lose, you know, mm. and um, and it still is. Do, do you feel that it's kind of in some ways payback that everyone can become their own record producer and their own distributor and you can do it independently now and that's not a bad thing? It's payback, but it's also breeds apathy because the more product you have out there, the more people doing it without without regulation. I mean, when I say regulation, I just mean ears, uh, making sure it's sounding right, making sure that the production is done correctly for that money, you know, and it's it's harder and harder to find. You know, it's just uh, the, the rules have all changed, you know, and of course, I don't want to get into it, but the music, you know, the music companies made their deals with Spotify and Apple and all those mm. people to the tunes of millions and millions and millions of dollars. And now record sales are just not even thought about for us anymore. It's all streams on other people's platforms and, and they try to rile us up and get us excited about it uh, so we can brag about it, but there's no financial end 
fractions of a penny per play. That just doesn't yeah. feel right. But a whole different experience. So when when you've got a, a, a room full of folks who who put their hard earned dollars down and, and spent the extra gas money to get there to see Colin James entertain, that's got to be, you know, at least uh, re- refreshing after that pause that was the pandemic. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, right now we're coming out and playing out and, you know, Rebecca Cohn and we're doing, um, we haven't played there, I guess, in almost three, two and a half, three years, maybe since the last tour. Uh, we had to keep on postponing, obviously, and um, and then we uh, then we head off into brand new territory, playing Chicago and New York and Philadelphia, doing my own shows in, this, at, in those cities, and nervous about that. I hope people come out. We're trying to do our best to make sure they do, and uh, but it's exciting, you know. Like in a way, in that whole tour with me in the states just now, I had to get in front of like two thousand people a night and just go, "Well, you may not know me, but here we go." And uh, it was refreshing, you know. It was nice to kind of have to prove yourself from scratch and some people have heard of me obviously because the these last three records have made some blues impact in the blues world but yeah. you know you still got to do your work and and try to turn on an audience and that's what it's all about i think the last show i saw or the last time i saw you play you were opening for brian adams in halifax at the metro center uh, or the, the scotia bank center there, there, i think there might have been some equipment issues but you were a pro and it was a great show yeah. and and that was my son's first concert experience. And, you know, thank you for giving us that and for all the music over the years. Man. Oh, of course. Well, I love it. And uh, I can't wait to get back out to uh, you fine people. You're music, music-loving East Coast people. Uh, it, it's like somebody's telling us to wrap it up here. Um, and and before I go, I mean, I'm, I, I put my House of Blues shirt on. Uh, Jake signed this one. And do you, is it... The Blues Brothers, man. That was such an impact on so many of us. Do you have anything about that band, that era, that time, what it was and what it became that, that you you could share with me? Well, I was already playing. I, I think I, I saw I saw that movie when it first came out. Yeah. And I saw it and it was a really strange thing happened. So I was in Saskatoon when that movie came out. I walked into a mall, shopping in some generic mall, and I walked out and there was all these bikers like Apollos are the bike gang in Saskatoon. They're Apollos. <laughs> and they were all driving down the road. And it was in conjunction with the Blues Brothers movie. I guess maybe, or maybe it was just chance, but it seems like the movie had just come out. And I went and saw the movie and like, how many cop cars get smashed? And then, <laughs> anyway, it was amazing. I, I love that movie. And it really popularized the idiom, you know. And of course, later on, reading Room Full of Blues. <laughs> And Curtis Salgado, they say Curtis Salgado had a lot to do with the formation of Room Full of Blues and the whole Dan 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 Aykroyd persona. And I've got to know Curtis a lot. He lives in Seattle. Well, he lives in Portland, sorry, Portland. But he's a great player. And uh, years later, I did a show at Massey Hall with Dan Aykroyd and all the guys from Downchild. And, you know, I couldn't help be reminded. James Cotton was there on that night. Fantastic night. Can't for, I can't believe I forgot to mention Downchild. Uh, Rebecca Cohn Auditorium, Halifax, July 7th. And you're going to miss a great show if you don't get tickets. Colin James, it's uh, been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for this. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.